0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25.
1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendrick Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my guest today is Scott Talbot who also works diligently at the seminary um, and works with our foundation. and our topic today is stewardship. So um, So Scott, my opening question to you is, how did a nice guy like you get into a gig on stewardship? Uh, tell us your story about kind of how you how you found this slot that you find yourself working in these days.
0: Okay. Uh, when I was younger, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I struggled with um, uh, direction in life. And so without having a clear direction, I just took the next logical step as it presented itself to me. When I finished high school, I went to Bible college. That uh, got a very good education there. Uh, from there, proceeded to seminary, continued to study the scriptures. Um, Still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, although I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of that type of work, uh, but didn't sense that that's where God was calling me. So I ended up in the field of financial planning, uh, a field I really enjoyed. I spent uh, 12 years in the field of financial planning, and I I loved the work, but there was one thing I struggled with. I struggled with the idea of... um, doing something that had an eternal impact, particularly with the training and education that I was privileged to receive. um, I wanted to use that in a more direct way to uh, impact people in eternal ways. Uh, It was great to help people with their budgets and with insurances and to, to plan out their finances, but if The only benefit was the here and now. Uh, To me, that wasn't um, making a a whole lot of impact in this world. And so I prayed for years. I I asked God to show me what it was he wanted me to do. I had no idea. I said, God, if if you'll write it in the sky, give me some kind of sign, uh, I'll do it. But I had no clue what that was. And then one day, a friend of mine, uh, actually a friend of a friend came to me and he said, uh, we were just talking casually. I was sharing with him my story and uh, some of the struggles that I was having. And he said, you know, you might want to come work with us. And I said, well, what is that? What are you doing? He said, I work at the foundation at In Touch Ministries, and we have people that work in the field of planned giving. And what we're looking for uh, are people that have Uh, Number one, pastoral training, and number two, a background in financial planning. And uh, we look at uh, our plan giving officers as financial pastors. So those were the qualifications he was looking for. And as we talked, I could sense that was God's answer to prayer, just as clearly as if he had written it in the sky. This was God answering that prayer. Here's where you can use your skills and abilities and experience all those years that you thought you were going in the wrong direction. And use them in a way that, that uh, honors me, that glorifies me, and that, that uh, taps into that passion for making a difference with regards to eternal things. So that's what led me into the field of plan giving, starting first at In Touch Ministries. And I really, really like the work. I know I'm where God wants me to be.
2: So you've been doing foundation work for how long when you put all the organizations together that you've worked with? 22 years. Oh, wow. So you were at In Touch for how long? Seven years. Seven years. And you've been at Dallas. And did you go from InTouch to Dallas, or was there something in between?
0: I, I spent uh, just about 10 years with Campus Crusade for Christ, working at their foundation. And then four years at World Vision up in the Seattle area. And then two years ago is when I came here to Dallas to work at the seminary.
2: So you've seen a variety of organizations that actually work in the area of plan giving have a lot of, uh, of varied experience with really different kinds of organization. I mean, in touch is a radio program. Crew is obviously a parachurch ministry. Yeah. Multifaceted ministry. So uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, that, I didn't know that. So that's, that's, that's nice to, to find out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, about, I um, uh, two sets of questions. What do foundations do? And then what is plan giving? And you can take those in any order that you want.
0: Okay. Well, they're very much related. Um, a foundation like ours, like the foundation at Dallas Theological Seminary and the one I worked at at In Touch and at Crewe, um, function like a plan giving department. Our primary role is to assist our supporters Uh, with ways in which they can give. And so the foundation's primary role is to act as a plan giving department. Uh, One of the nuances of a foundation is that it does exist as a separate uh, legal entity and with with the foundation here at the seminary, we also are involved in managing certain assets, such as the uh, the endowment that covers some of the scholarships that are offered through the seminary. Uh, but by and large, from a practical standpoint, it's about offering plan-giving services.
2: And, go no, go ahead, go ahead. So what is plan-giving? That was yeah, the next question. Right, exactly.
0: Plan-giving, I like to think of it as a field of financial planning that focuses on people whose Value system includes generous giving. In other words, if that's part of your lifestyle, part of your, um, your priorities as a, an individual, as a family, um, there are planning opportunities, strategies, and tools that are available to you uh, that help you not so much with the where of giving, but the how of giving how can i give in a more efficient way how can i give in a way that maximizes those resources for kingdom use and minimizes taxes and other uh, unnecessary expenses sometimes it's a matter of using the same dollars to accomplish two different goals my charitable giving along with other goals such as supplemental income for retirement or something along those lines
2: so you you really do plan out the entire uh the entire a stewardship a responsibility that a person has not just it isn't just about giving to an organization it's actually thinking about an entire kind of a financial approach um, as people think about what they're going to do with the assets that they have
0: yeah the the approach that we would take or what we offer might look different for different people but typically um The work that we do would would be meaningful for somebody who has a relationship with an organization like Dallas Theological Seminary. And they they know they love the seminary. They want to give. um, And uh, they want to start exploring additional ways to give beyond cash. What's interesting is that the average American's net worth is made up of uh, about 9% cash, And about 91% what we call hard assets. And the cash is what we look to for the giving opportunity. When we think about what can I do to help support Dallas Theological Seminary or the other ministries that God lays on my heart. We look to that 9% and it's a very limited pool of funds from which we can work. Uh, what we can do through plan giving is help people to explore ways in which they can strategically position other assets out of that 91%. Uh, not necessarily giving it away, but positioning, positioning that in such a way that it can be used for giving purposes while also taking care of your own personal needs. So often it's, it can range from looking at a particular concept or tool like a charitable gift annuity or a charitable remainder trust, Um, to something more comprehensive, like let's sit down and explore our options, or let's take a look at our estate plan and look at ways to do our giving efficiently so that we're uh, uh, maximizing resources for family and for ministry and also incorporating uh, spiritual values into the planning process too. So it can be quite varied.
2: So, um, um, and I'm going to assume that someone listening to this may or may not have a financial background to understand some of the categories that you're talking about. So I'm just going to get some definitional stuff out of the way, hard assets. Okay. That's, that's could Sound intimidating. Those could be all kinds of things. Couldn't they? I mean, I, I think I remember days when, uh, back in the early days when i was teaching when dr walbert would share that someone gave a car to the seminary and i'm going well that's interesting <laughs> you know what what are we going to do with a car uh, you know, that kind of thing so so fill us out so hard assets and what's the array of possibilities here
0: okay uh if you take the cash and liquid assets that's pretty uh easy to figure out it's the right. money i have in my checking account savings account i can write a check against that today. The hard assets would include things like my IRA, um, my rental property, my my home, collections, stock in my brokerage account. It can even be shares in a privately held company uh, that I'm operating on a regular basis. I can take equity in my business and give it away in a way that does not sacrifice any ownership of that business. So all those assets that we tend to think about as non-liquid, and we we often don't consider them for giving purposes, there's a whole lot you can do with that when you start exploring your options.
2: Interesting, and is um, I actually don't know the answer to this question. Is there a minimum that you have to have in order to interact with the foundation? Nope. No minimum. Okay. Um, so, so you know, we could be talking to everyday people who say, well, I don't have much of an estate. I don't own a business or whatever. But you, uh, they could come to you and they could help plan so that if they did want to give to the seminary or actually to ministries in general, because I know the foundation actually works with ministries in general, not just the seminary, mm-hmm. they could do that and lay that out and have that be organized in a way that they really – wouldn't have to worry about it. It's taken care of by the kind of planning that, that, that you engage them in.
0: Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is a misconception to think that you have to have a large net worth to really sit down and do any kind of planning along these lines. Uh, one of my early mentors, Ray Lyon, used to tell us anyone with one dollar of God's money is a steward. And as stewards, we want to plan wisely and make good decisions with regard to the ways in which we use his resources. And so we just come alongside people, no matter where they are in life, no matter how large or small their net worth might be, uh, just to show them how they can consider options they may not hear from their other advisors to make informed decisions about the ways in which
1: they give.
2: Now, again, I'm going to ask some elementary questions here uh, um, just in case, you know, this is a new area for some people. Uh, Difference between an annuity and a trust.
0: Good question. An annuity, uh, well, let me put it this way. Both an annuity and a trust are ways to make a gift while also receiving income. There are different reasons for looking at – These tools, some have to do with uh, simply the idea that I want to keep supporting the organization, but I need income. Maybe I'm now in my retirement years, and I can't afford to give away as much, and I need income to help me uh, supplement my uh, other sources of income. Uh, An annuity is a very simple and straightforward tool where we handle the administration as an organization. There is no cost that's taken out of it. Uh, you would donate a lump sum to the foundation in exchange for uh, a set guaranteed payment and income for as long as you are living, or if it's a married couple, as long as either husband and wife are living. Again, all the administration we take care of, we invest those funds, generate the income, and there's a built-in gift portion for the seminary. A trust, uh, such as a charitable remainder trust, um, is a little more complex. Uh, it involves going to an attorney, having a trust drafted. We can help with some of the ideas around that and some of the calculations to see how that would work, but you would that, that through an attorney. Uh, and then have it set up and administered. We also uh, will act as a trustee uh, of a trust like that in certain cases where you can hire your own trustee to oversee that trust for you or serve as your own trustee, which I don't necessarily recommend. More complexity, but more flexibility. So within that trust, you have the options of how the funds are invested Uh, You have the option of making the charitable beneficiary, not just one, but maybe several organizations. Uh, You can even continue with the trust, continue payments, not just for the lifetime of husband and wife, but even for up to an additional 20 years, if you want to include children or other family members in that income stream. Uh, so it's a matter of uh, do you want the simplicity of the guarantees or are you willing to go to a little bit more trouble and cost to set up something that's got greater flexibility
2: to it. I see. So so someone comes in and says, you know, I'd like to think about. Um, how I'm going to plan my giving and even I, 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 I take it you also do you also help with the writing of, of wills and estates or do you put people in in position to do that given the fact that the plan giving is designed I'm assuming not just to be during your lifetime but after after uh, you you pass and go to be with the Lord um, so um, do you help with that aspect as well
0: we do help with estate planning to a degree uh there what i like to the way i like to explain it is that we offer another set of eyes to the planning process we offer ideas that focus on our area of specialty namely how do you want to do your charitable giving alongside your other giving and how do you want to incorporate your spiritual values into that how can how can i practically invite god into the process as i do my planning one of the things that that I feel very strongly about is that planning is not a one-stop shop. It's not a one-person kind of thing. Uh, In many types of planning, you might need various advisors. It might be an attorney, uh, it might be your CPA, it might be a financial planner. We feel that for those whose value system includes generous giving, that having a planned giving officer at the table is also wise to make another place at the table for that person that can bring to, to that discussion uh, ideas that the other people will not. Each person has his own area of expertise, his own area of specialty. Um, we bring something that others don't bring, but we don't do it all either. And so while we speak into the estate planning process, we uh, we strongly encourage people to Uh, discuss with their other professional advisors, including the attorney, um, what other options they have, additional counsel, and the drafting of documents so they have independent counsel and have uh, uh, objectively thought through their, their options. And we can recommend people to for them if they need recommendations people that we know in the area.
2: okay, one other kind of technical question I'm looping back to the car just because I thought it was such an odd situation to be in but um, what in the world does a seminary do with a car when it when, when, when an asset like that gets passed on to the school? I mean it seems like an odd thing to pass on to the school not the not that people don't drive but I mean it it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to fit what what happens when when part of the assets are actually the possessions that people have that when they're uh, they're liquidated that comes to the benefit of the seminary
0: um, good um, how how best to answer this question we We try to encourage people to well at least be aware of the fact that they can donate assets versus just cash. Okay. Sometimes quite often it can be very advantageous for both the giver and the recipient to deal with those assets. Stock is a good example. Real estate is often a good example. Business equity. Uh, there are other assets which can be considered. They're, they aren't always ideal. They might be collections like my collection of Velvet Elvis paintings, or (laughs) we've received uh, gifts of gold bullion or silver. Uh, One gift when I worked at Campus Crusade for Christ, which actually was very uh, beneficial, was a warehouse full of furniture Hmm. uh, that this couple received in a uh, a legal settlement and they decided to give it away. And we, all we needed to do was find uh, a buyer so that we could convert that to cash that the organization could use. So one of the issues is, is this gift, as we receive it, going to provide value for us versus potential liability? Will we be able to easily convert that into cash which the organization can use? Unless there's a situation where we could use that item that's donated, we're probably gonna to wanna to liquidate that and turn it into cash. Mm-hmm. Cars are a good example of assets that we that most organizations are not real eager to take. There are a few that zero in on that, um, <laughs> but because you have to turn around and sell them and often can't make a lot of money and there, there's a challenge in the process, it is not the ideal asset. Sure. Um, other assets uh, can be so. We have a gift acceptance committee that would review certain assets just to make sure it's beneficial for both the giver and the receiver.
2: Interesting. So um, I, I'm going to I'm going to end kind of this technical discussion part of it with this question. So I come into your office saying. Hey, I'm interested in doing some planned giving. Uh, I really like to benefit the seminary. I've got four or five other organizations I'm also concerned to continue to give to. Um, what What is that going to look – what is that visit going to look like? Or I guess it would be visits.
1: Um,
0: whatever you're comfortable with. Usually an extended conversation would be uh, – uh, is more easily done face-to-face, but in these days, we're using phones and Zoom as well. Uh, I would, if, if I were the one in that conversation, I would basically ask questions. Uh, my goal is to find out what it is you want to do, where your heart is, where where is God directing you, uh, a little bit of the a feel for what your financial situation is, what your uh, uh, resources are, and what potential challenges you might have. Are you dealing with tax issues? Are you dealing with a potential capital gains tax coming up? Are you looking at selling something like property or a business where you're gonna take a big hit? And then um, come up with ideas to share with you that would help you to better achieve the objectives you're looking to achieve while also resolving some of those um, inefficiency issues like taxes and other things that come into play. So it'll be a
2: conversation. Uh, so um so what kind of a person works in a foundation? I mean are they CPAs in background or or what what if someone someone I want to do foundation work, what would it take? What it what it what qualifications should they have?
0: Well, if you're if you're talking about working as a plan giving officer in yes. a role such as this, um I have found that uh, many plan giving officers come from a few different backgrounds. Uh, Some like myself come from a financial planning background. Uh, Occasionally you'll run into somebody who has a background as a CPA, Um, sometimes uh, a law background. There are certain legal issues that we deal with that are helpful to know as a background. Um, Maybe a fundraising background uh what in my experience this is what i found one of the gentlemen that i hired when i was at campus crusade for christ uh out of 100 people that applied for the position had none of those that we just described those are all very helpful they're often entry points but he had none of that um he was recommended as one of those standout people that had a wonderful character, um, integrity, quality individual, loves God, uh, good work practices, just an all-around wonderful person. Um, and I was encouraged to consider him and I hired him because of the person that he was and because, that I, because I knew that the, the technical aspects could be taught. When I entered the field of of plan giving, I came with a background in financial planning, which was helpful. But I was given a lot of intensive training uh, in the area of specifically planned giving because it is a specialty field. So anyone coming in the field is going to need some, quite a bit of training to get some of that, those technical things down. And it's an ongoing thing. But in this particular case, it worked out extremely well. This person was a wonderful fit because of who he is first. And, um, and then the, the technical part was taught. So does that help with yeah,
2: that? Yeah, absolutely. So those are all my technical questions. I'm doing this backwards. We probably should have started with the theological grounding and then come all these practical questions, but I've flipped the script. So um, so now let, let, let's shift in a, in a different direction. You recently, um, and we'll, we'll connect this as a resource for people when we hear this, you recently had the opportunity to address this Dallas Seminary Chapel on on stewardship and, and kind of the theological grounding for all of this that we're talking about in a very practical way at the start.
1: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
2: Um, Talk, share a little bit what you had in mind and and why um, you thought this was an important message uh particularly for seminary students to hear because you know normally you might give that talk uh to a group of business people uh and so um so talk a little bit about what your heart was in in coming to the chapel and talking about stewardship
0: yeah uh i could talk about this all day long so i'll try to keep it as concise as i can <laughs> um I came into this field, let's call it fundraising. That's how I saw it. That was one of my hesitancies, actually, thinking of the role of plan giving as a fundraising role, because I didn't have a very positive idea of fundraising at that time. Hmm. Even though I grew up in a good church, even though I had quite a bit of Bible training, um, my notion of fundraising really wasn't biblical, Uh, One of the things that I began to learn when I came into the field of planned giving, um, and I referenced his name earlier, Ray Line, he challenged me with a question. He was one of the folks that taught me, helped me with the technical as well as the theological part of things. He said, now that you're in this field, you need to develop a biblical philosophy of the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, "Hmm, a biblical philosophy, is there such a thing as a biblical philosophy of giving of fundraising, let's say, and as he began to prime that pump and share biblical principles with me, my mindset began to shift from the status quo thinking that I wonder if a lot of us, even in Christian circles, tend to have to a more biblical view. The status quo is that, uh, and I've seen this in some of the organizations where I worked, uh, at least among certain people, and that is fundraising is a necessary evil. It's something that we do so that the ministry can be done, the real work, because ministry needs funding, and so somebody has to raise the money for it. But one of the things that that uh, I began to be aware of is that God doesn't need our money. God, who is the creator of everything uh, and the controller of everything, really doesn't need my money He doesn't need my work. He doesn't need donors to give to the organization um, because he's God. And so it's not about a need and it's not about a necessary evil. Um, Rather, uh, fundraising, if you want to call it that, inviting people in is uh, is something that we get to do together. I think God created a scenario in which there is a dependency upon him for the work of the organization so that people like me and others are required, if you will, to go invite other people to participate in that. Not because we need them or God needs them, not because God needs their money, but God invites and welcomes and wants our engagement and participation. And so the work of fundraising, rather than being uh, this quota-oriented, pressure-oriented, we must have dollars in the door, becomes a wonderful way to say, this is God's ministry. God will provide for the ministry, but how is he gonna do that? Let's invite people in because God is saying, I want you to do it with me. I want all of you, whoever wants to be part of this, I'm inviting you to participate with me. And so we get to get in the arena. We get to be part of the action with God, but we get to have a vested interest um, by engaging with the resources and dollars and property and whatnot that God has entrusted to us. And so when you begin opening your eyes to that concept, it becomes a very joyful experience in saying, who wants to be part of what God's doing?
2: So you're really really inviting people into our participation and sharing in in ministry, really. I mean, uh, if I can use the center as an example, you know, we put these podcasts together, we issue them. We don't charge for what we do. You know, we put them on the net. They're available to people for free, but it doesn't happen for free. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, not, only, not, only, not only is it helpful that I get a salary and be able to sustain my life, but you're the same way and all the staff the people who you never see on the screen who make it possible, the technical people in the media who take what we do after it's taped and, and put it in shape so that it can be displayed on the media, the people who work, the internet at the seminary so that, you know, it, it, there's a place to put it, all those kinds of things. And so there's a sense in which we get to see one another and interact with one another in the seminary department, but none of that happens. If there aren't people who participate alongside us and say, I believe in what you're doing. Uh, I believe in the ministry that you're engaged in. I want to be there and be supportive of what it is that you do. Mm
0: -hmm. And I firmly believe that it's, it's the work of the seminary that's a ministry. It's the work of the leader center that's a ministry. It's also a ministry when we invite people in to be part of that.
2: And so they they come and they bring their support, and then they, uh, in many cases, at least in in some cases, they actually get to know us. We get to know them. They interact. Mm-hmm. They share with us what they're concerns are, et cetera. We're always inviting people to say, hey, what would you like for us to talk about? What is it that you'd like to hear about? And we'll go out and bring in experts in that area, et cetera. And they can come alongside so so that it's not just a monetary gift, but it's a relationship that gets built. And in the midst of building that relationship, then uh, they become a part of who, of who we are we get to know them they get to know us and it and and we really do share in a kind of a strange way maybe the way not normal way we think about it, in a kind of fellowship of of ministry that that works together to to really um, lift up Christ and to serve uh, his people and his kingdom and his church well uh, you know for the for the task of the ministry worldwide as we like to say uh-huh.
0: God is a God of relationship and he wants us to be in a relationship with him and with each other
2: so so tell us what were some of the what were some of the themes other than participation what were some of the themes that you developed in this chapel message that you had and again explain why it was important for people in ministry to hear what you're saying because normally you're interacting with people who are out and about uh, in the business world
0: yeah. Um, Well, let's start with the second question. Um, It was interesting for me to note that I had this revelation about a huge part of my life, a huge part of my life, everything financial. Um, After I had been through years of wonderful sermons at really good churches, four years of Bible college, seminary training, very little had really been taught to me about the world of finances. And then to discover that this arena of my life that I once thought of as more or less spiritually neutral, there are some guiding principles in the scripture that I was aware of, debt and savings and, and, uh, what we decide to give to God and and some of those other principles. But I I thought that everything else was pretty much neutral and to discover that um, if we understand God's ownership of all and the concept of stewardship, which simply means I am tasked with the idea of managing something that belongs to somebody else, then everything we do with every dollar we have with every piece of property or resource with which we've been entrusted, all of that becomes a spiritual issue. Whether we give it away, whether we use it to feed our children, whether we use it to purchase something for our own personal needs, it all becomes a spiritual issue. And I wanted to share that with seminary students and seminary professors and seminary staff because I didn't hear that when I was in seminary. <laughs> I, that was missed. It was it, There's this huge topic, and it was greatly overlooked. And so that's very valuable for me as I continue to learn more about this concept. And I was hoping it, it might be of some value to others as they begin to explore for themselves. What does the Bible say about this broad topic?
2: You know, I'm going to make an analogy. It's almost like when you're in a worship service and... You know, you at some point you pass the plate, or now with COVID, they're not doing that. You know, they tell you, well, you can give, there's a box in the back on the way out, or, or you can do it electronically or whatever. And, it, and it's almost, uh, uh, I don't mean, that, it's going to sound derogatory, I don't mean it that way, but it's almost a sidebar, a sideshow in everything that's going on. And yet the Bible presents it as part of our worship. We bring our gifts to God. And those gifts enable the ministry to take place. That's been going on since the tabernacle was was constructed in the Old Testament, and really has lived on ever since. So, uh, so uh, something that and 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 the way we sustain our life is the same way ministry gets sustained. You know, it takes resources, um, and, and so uh, so I, I think it's interesting this this kind of sidebar element, which it sounds like it was almost your experience and what you were taught and the way it was handled, all of a sudden became, no, this is a part of the way God makes us and a part of what our life is, an aspect of what our, really our spiritual walk and our spiritual life is supposed to be about.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, as you read the scriptures, we have invitations to give. Uh, that's very obvious. But when you stop and think about it, if God owns everything— then, what does God get when we give something to Him? When, whether it's we're writing a check and putting in the offering plate, we're giving it to Dallas Theological Seminary, we're supporting another ministry that we know is part of God's heart. What does God really get that He didn't already have in that process or doesn't already belong to Him? What He gets in that process is an act of worship, it's an act of love. Because even though it came from God and it still belongs to God, we have to make a heart decision when we relinquish the use of that resource for God's agenda versus solely for my own agenda. And that's where the worship comes in
2: and of course the interesting thing is is that that's so fundamentally true of almost all the things that we're engaged in in our lives i mean the, the idea of of loving your neighbor as yourself is taking the arrow and your attention from yourself and pushing it out towards Someone else who who you're interacting with—that kind of the kind of con, the kind of character concern that that represents—is uh-huh. an, an important part of of what is going on as well. Um, let me let me shift gears a little bit and ask you this question: What are some of the common? And I don't I don't know I actually don't know a good way to ask this question, so I'll just ask it the way it's in my head, which is: What are some of the common mistakes people make with resources that that uh, that hamper their ability to be good stewards?
0: Well, in the field in which I work, knowing the opportunities, um, what people could do if they knew about it, if they were aware of their options versus what they actually do, uh, here are a couple of examples that come to mind. Um, One is selling an appreciated asset and paying a capital gains tax. Now, if you were... not concerned about giving whether you know you may or may not be a believer you may or may not understand the value of giving uh it's not going to matter much to you but if you are if you are concerned about investing in god's work if that matters to you and it should matter to us then capital gains taxes capital gains taxes are optional Um, what you can do if you have a highly appreciated asset whether it's stock Real estate, it can even be a business that you're considering selling, at least at some point. Uh, If you sell it, you have to pay a tax on the appreciation on that property. If you wanna look at a creative way and an efficient way to give, giving from appreciated assets is powerful I'll give you an example. You give appreciated stock, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to get an income tax deduction based on the fair market value of that stock. Just as if you had sold it and donated the cash, you get a tax write-off. But there's something else you get if you give that stock away before you sold it. When you give it away, you give away the capital gains tax liability it's the person who owns it when it's sold that has to pay that tax. So if you give the the stock as a gift to Dallas Theological Seminary, you give away that capital gains tax liability too. All of a sudden you get a double tax benefit. You've got the income tax deduction. You've also bypassed the the, the capital gains tax. So double whammy. And if you happen to really love that stock that you just donated to the seminary for its use, you can go and buy it back and have an increased uh, cost basis to reduce the potential capital gains in the in the future. Um, so it, it double tax benefits when giving appreciated assets. I've talked to people who have sold rental property I've talked to people who have sold a business, and it 's after the fact and they say, "My goodness, if you only knew the capital gains taxes I paid, is there anything I can do about it?" And what I want to say is, if we could only turn back time and go back before the event, there were options (laughs) that you would have wanted to hear. It's a little bit late after the fact, although there's some offsetting things. But that's one of the mistakes I see, one of the opportunities that is lost, sometimes just because people aren't aware. Um, Another is, um, this might, well, it's very simple. It's more of a... I think a a spiritual opportunity lost. Uh, Let's look at the idea of estate planning. We tend to think of estate planning as transactional. Um, The status quo thought is with my estate plan, the goal is to get as much as I can to my children as quickly as possible with minimal cost and delay. That may be a goal, but if that's the only goal it becomes purely transactional and we've lost a lot of opportunity in that. An estate plan is the last opportunity that we have as an act of stewardship to our God. And while we may be very conscientious about wanting to be generous with our children, uh, it's, it's not just about what goes where. It's about what will the resources, which are temporal, do to people who are eternal. It's the impact. What will the impact be? so we try in the process of looking at wills and and estate plans we try to help people think not just in terms of transactions but what are you trying to accomplish what is the eternal impact that you want to make how do you want to take temporal resources and use them in a way that that makes positive and lasting change in your children in your family in the ministries that god has laid on your heart and in the world that you leave behind and so the the value-based planning behind an estate plan that moves beyond just the transaction.
2: So so in that case, you're actually getting people to think about, and and I know people who do that, I know very wealthy people who give a very, I'll, I'll say it this way, a modest amount to their children because they're worried about the impact of giving everything to their children. And on the flip side, they say, I have other commitments that I've made all my life that I want to continue to have, to see uh, those organizations see benefit from. And so it's that, that balance between caring for your family on the one hand and caring for uh, the ministries that you've developed these relationships with over time.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it is just about having those conversations and thinking through uh, what does make the most sense for, for us in our family situation.
2: And do you uh, do you give advice uh, pastorally about how to have those conversations in relationship to estate planning, or is the general pattern to just let the results surprise people when it comes out? <laughs> I,
0: we we um we want to be as helpful as we can to people, and so it's about it's about educating, it's about counseling, it's about teaching, and uh, certainly encouraging encouraging them to interact with their other advisors. Uh, but we want to give them as much information to chew on as they, as they can have. Uh, and it goes along with what Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Hmm. So we're helping to speak into that and offering them input that will uh, get their minds and hearts hopefully working in the right direction.
2: So, is there? Uh, and this is a general question. This is a when I do interviews. This is always the last question that that people ask when they when they're wrapping up, and that is, is there anything I've left out or haven't discussed that that you'd like for uh, like to note for people as we think about the responsibilities of stewardship and what that means?
0: Um. Well, keeping it brief, <laughs> I think I'll just zero in on one thing, and that is a couple of things about planned giving. Um, that make it really interesting. One is most people aren't really knowledgeable about what plan giving is. And so you're taking the time to talk about this today, Daryl, I think is very helpful. Uh, Some people may have a vague idea. Uh, Oh, you're the people they come to see if they want to name the seminary in their will. Yeah, we can help you with that. That might be a teeny tiny piece, but it's so much broader than that. Um, for, for people to understand that they're, that we offer a no-cost, no-obligation service to our people, a ministry to our people, um, just to, to learn, to be educated, to understand their options and opportunities uh, in a very comfortable, relaxed atmosphere. Um, I don't think of myself as a salesperson. Uh, and And you certainly don 't get that feeling around here that that anybody is selling you something or there 's any kind of pressure it 's just a place to to have a good um, wholesome informative, perhaps inspirational conversation about what are my options? What can I think about as I explore ways to better steward the resources that God has entrusted to me and most of the people. I can't think of any exceptions offhand. The people I've had the pleasure of working with over the years walk away in almost every case, having learned something new, having gained at least one new opportunity or option that they never knew about and feeling very good about their opportunities. Hmm. And so that's who we are. That's what we're about. And we love the people we get to work with.
2: So final question is if, how do they contact you? What, what, if, if someone's listening to this and they go, Ooh, that sounds very interesting. I think I'd want to explore the opportunities that that represents. How would they contact you? Well,
0: uh, they can contact us by email, by telephone. They can stop in at the seminary. Um, email address, my email address is stalbot at dts.edu. Uh, my phone number is, um, you know what? I, I don't even have it memorized. I've got to look at that.
2: <laughs> I have to do the same thing.
0: 214 887 5191 rings directly through to my office. Um, and uh, Dallas Seminary is our website. Okay. Well, that so sounds
2: great.
0: we can get in touch.
2: Well, Scott, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on the table. This has been great. You know, we've we've chatted about doing this for some time and COVID kind of got in the way as it has everything else and it took longer to pull off than we than we thought about. But I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about about giving in general and, and the foundation in particular and what that represents and the opportunity of, of participation in ministry through the use, um, the responsible and spiritual use of resources i really do thank you for taking the time with us yeah thank you daryl and uh we thank you for joining us on the table we hope you'll join us again soon and we wish you well Uh, until the next time uh, we hope that god richly blesses uh, what you're doing and what you're about thank you
1: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians.
2: Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.